Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by Eagle Energy. A quick, simple, and energy boost on the go. Try the plant-based caffeine inhaler at Eagle. Dot energy. And also brought to you by MyBookie. Go bet with MyBookie. Sign up at MyBookie.ag and use promo code GATERS and they will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Bet with MyBookie. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Of course, with the big Florida-Georgia game coming up, we have plenty to discuss. So to preview this top 10 matchup, the guest list this week is primed for the biggest game of the season with ESPN College Game Day coming to Jacksonville for the rivalry game. The host of Game Day, Reese Davis, will join in as we get his thoughts on this game as the Game Day crew is coming to my city. Then a friend of mine, former Gators tight end and co-host of Pigskin Radio on ESPN Coastal out of Georgia, Ben Troop joins us here on Gators Breakdown. And lastly, to get the Georgia side of things, Mike Griffith from DogNation.com previews the Bulldogs. So a jam-packed episode is coming your way. But before we get there, remember you can find Gators Breakdown on newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. There you will find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as articles from the News for Jack sports team. And of course, all the Florida Georgia coverage to keep you entertained and informed for the big game. So if you're coming into Jacksonville or already here, tune in to WJXT, News for Jacks, and newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown for everything Florida Georgia game. Also listen to Gators Breakdown on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, and Spotify. And when using those services, please share, rate, and review the show. Let Gator Nation know what they're getting with Gators Breakdown. And on social media, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. Let's get this started with the host of ESPN, College Game Day, Reese Davis. Reese is in his fourth year as host of College Game Day and joins us here on Gators Breakdown to preview this big top 10 matchup between the Gators and the Bulldogs. A week after one of the crazier game day scenes in Pullman, Washington last week, Reese, I tracked it, and it's a 2,761-mile, 41-hour drive from Pullman, Washington to Jacksonville. And we've got, we've got people who made that drive. Um, our bus driver, Bobby, and our truck drivers, led by Tommy Marshall, um, they made the drive out to Pullman, and as soon as they got everything loaded up, uh, they started making their way to Jacksonville, and those guys do 
do an unbelievable job every week in making sure that uh, everything is all set for the people when they come out for game day. And they're, they're part of our team and our family, and we're grateful for the hard work that they do and the road trips that they take. I, I've always said one of these days, I'm going to um, I'm going to go from one side to the next with Bobby on the bus. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a Madden or a Kornheiser and just stay on that bus for um, uh, for the week, going from uh, one side to the next. It's game day's first trip to Jacksonville since 2005 and fourth time overall. Reese, you have a, uh, a working history in the state of Georgia early in your career, so I'm sure you know what this Florida Georgia rivalry is all about. Well, I grew I grew up in the South and SEC country, so certainly I understand it. Remember the great games from when I was a kid, and then certainly the ones in more recent years uh, and the Urban Meyer years at Florida and the Mark Rick years at Georgia. And uh, you know, and uh, Coach Donham was at Georgia, and Coach Spurrier obviously had his way um, with the Dogs in that in that series. So yeah, I'm I'm very familiar with the series and what it means and the intensity of it. And uh, obviously it, it feels like old times a little bit this weekend with the stakes being what they are. Kentucky still certainly will have something to say about who wins the East. And they have a, a game against Georgia coming up and already owning the win over the Gators. But, you know, I think that it's uh, still a pretty good proposition, pretty good prop bet that the winner of this game will have a great opportunity to represent the East in the SEC championship game. A year ago, 4-7 and seven for these Gators, and, and now this week we get a top-10 matchup for this rivalry game. Also a year ago, where we're getting reports of Jim McElwain being let go right before this game. And now this week we're discussing how much Dan Mullen has brought energy and confidence back to this Florida program. Well, Dan's a great coach. And I know we throw that term around a lot. He's a great coach. He's a great coach. They're all great coaches. You know, but they're not. You know, there are, there are really good coaches and there are really outstanding ones. And Dan is in, is in the upper category, in my judgment. What he did at Mississippi State should not be underestimated. And it's not that, that you can't win with consistency at Mississippi State. It's just that it's really hard. History has proven that it's a difficult job to win consistently. And he really built a great infrastructure there, relentless effort. Uh, he has a keen eye for talent and for finding guys that he can develop. And he understood how he needed to do that at Mississippi State and did just a tremendous job. The other thing I think that he does well that has been really on display at Florida is that he adapts to his personnel and finds finds what works and what will be most beneficial for the players that he has. Now, he has a system. I'm not suggesting he's just willy-nilly saying, hey, let's see what this guy can do. Okay, we'll change everything. But he's, he's very adaptable and very smart. And because of that, I think you've seen a growth in Felipe Franks. Um, all of their stats, you know, and, and Todd Grantham gets credit for this too, and Florida's players, their defense has been pretty good. But, you know, they're not exactly stonewalling the run, but they're forcing turnovers and they're getting sacks. And, you know, they're, they're making big plays. They're, you know, they're getting fumbles. They're pulling the ball out. You know, they're doing – they're, they're finding a, a way to make every phase of the game work together. The offense, the defense, the special teams, and, and while they might not be overwhelming from a talent standpoint in any of the categories, though certainly there are some terrific players. You kind of like having just a, a great season. But I think that you, you know, I think that you look at this and you're seeing a developing belief 
developing confidence. It's making making this Florida team uh, very dangerous and one that is uh, that has improved regularly. Absolutely. Reese Davis from college, ESPN's College Game Day joining us here on Gators Breakdown. Reese, as we move to the other side, uh, Georgia's coming off of a loss to LSU, and, and now questions are arising about this year's Bulldogs team. Is there maybe an overreaction to Georgia's loss in Baton Rouge a couple weeks ago? Yes. Just to, yeah, just to put it candidly, yes. Now, I do think that there are a couple of things that are – that do have merit in terms of questioning Georgia or um, where are they right now. I'm not sure that they have handled the entire quarterback situation um, in the very best possible way. Uh, Jake Fromm proved a lot last year, and he's a really good player. Now, Justin Fields is a talented guy, and if you're going to be an elite program, then this is the way it goes. You recruit guys who will have a chance to beat out uh, the incumbent. That position is unique, and what you guys at Florida experienced for all of those years, you know, running, um, you know, Jesse out there for a play and then putting in or putting in old Rexy and maybe Noah Brendice and Doug Johnson, just rotating guys in and out, you know, that worked because Steve is a genius and because he, he had a particular method with quarterbacks that would resonate and he handled them a certain way and they knew what to expect. Now, I'm not at practice every day with Georgia. I can't tell you whether it's that way or not in practice. But I think that in most situations from all of the years that I've covered this and all the years I've grown up watching football that, uh, and, you know, and, and playing very poorly at the, you know, at the high school level and below, quarterback is a unique position. And if a guy is looking over his shoulder, rare is the guy who can play that way. And I get the sense that Jake has been looking over his shoulder a little bit, maybe with good cause, because Justin Fields is really talented. And it's, it's speculation. No one knows for sure what type of an impact that that might have had on their offense up to this point, but it seems to have to have had an effect, on at least on Jake's level of play. And then, you know, running Fields out there for eight plays or two plays and primarily running him when everybody I've that I keep in contact with in Athens, they rave about his passing ability. So I wonder if that is the October surprise for the game that we are no longer allowed to call the cocktail party. Is it that they're going to unleash Justin Fields' arm? You know, or will it be that Jake Fromm, who I think is a really, really good quarterback, um, you know, will kind of will kind of step up and make plays? Jake didn't play well against LSU. I think he'd be the first to say that he is. He didn't play to his capabilities. I think he's a very capable, very good quarterback, and he didn't play like that. Now, LSU had a ton to do with that, but I do think it has invited this um, speculation among Georgia fans and maybe even in some places on the outside that Justin Fields is going to come in and all is going to be right with their offense. You know, that all of that remains to be seen, and it remains to be seen how Jim Chaney and Kirby handle it on, on Saturday. Reese, there's a theme going around, and uh, Gator fans would definitely want me to ask you this. Do the Gators get enough respect for beating LSU? <laughs> Everybody wants respect. I mean, nobody <laughs> even remembers who Rodney Dangerfield is. And, if, you know, the, here's the funny thing about fans, I think, and, and, and it's great because we have the best fans in all of sport, and I don't offer that up. Uh, we, we, meaning college football, we have fans for whom it matters more than any other sport. Now, that can be not the healthiest thing. I know it, but it can, 
you know, we have a higher percentage of fans in our game that take it with them, you know, <laughs> the wins and the losses. So when when someone on shows like ours, when they don't say what fans agree with or that, you know, that team is the greatest when they win a game, then I always hear, well, you don't give us any respect. And then, But at the same time, uh, a lot of those fans are the ones picking apart their own team on message boards, you know, but they just don't want anybody else to do it. So like a fam, it's like a family thing, right? You know, I can, well, I can criticize my brother-in-law, but you better not, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, so I don't, I, I think they have, to be honest, I think they've gotten a lot of respect for beating LSU. Um, I, you know, I don't know what more you could want. I mean, they're, they're ranked in the top 10. They're way ahead of, you know, way ahead of schedule. I, you know, I think they're performing at a very high level, and I think that they've. Uh, I think that win has been greatly appreciated. Now, Reese, I definitely have to ask you this now. So, what goes behind Lee Corso's headgear, and what can you share? Uh, when does he usually make his decision? Is it right then and there? Is there a lot of prep time for that segment with the schools to get those props that he needs to make that old so famous pick? There is prep time but we're not always privy to it unless we're involved with it. He has a very um, close group of confidants who help him put all of that together. And unless, like, unless Herbie maybe is involved in the script or something that he, that he uh, sets out, uh, that he starts on early in the week, none of us know. You know, and maybe we get a little bit of a hint from something that's said or something that, uh, that we might catch a glimpse of in the office. You know, you see some, uh, some prop uh, that shows up in the office or something like that, or you see somebody trying to hide it as they walk by, you might get a hint. But that is a closely guarded secret uh, on virtually every week on which way Coach is going to go with that headgear pick. Awesome, awesome. And uh, last thing here, can you see this Florida-Georgia game for years to come in this matchup? you see it maybe becoming like an Alabama-LSU or Alabama-Auburn where the stakes are bigger than just winning the division but playing for something even bigger? I think it – yeah, I, I can see that. Now, um, I, I'm not sure that anyone ever is going to duplicate what Alabama has done and is doing right now um, because it's never been done, in my judgment, in the history of the sport. This is the greatest run in the history of college football. Um, so to suggest that, you know, either Florida or Georgia will necessarily be at that level is crazy. I mean, the, the number still stands that since the beginning of the 2008 season, that's a full decade of football, Alabama has played exactly three regular season games in that entire time span in which the national championship has been out of play. Three. And that's, that's unfathomable. And they all came in the 2010 season. Um, so, you know, I don't know that anyone will reach that level. It doesn't mean – and don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying Florida or Georgia or whoever can't beat Alabama. They certainly can. I'm talking about over a long, you know, a long span. But I think the best way I can answer that is that more years than not, as long as Dan and Kirby are at uh, Florida and Georgia, and I would anticipate that's going to be uh, – a stable situation both places for quite some time, they're going to play for for championships and larger stakes than the division more times than not. And truth of it is, they're playing for bigger things now. There's still still a long way to go for whoever wins, but whoever wins the game 
on Saturday afternoon is is on track, is on course for the college football playoff. The only little uh, pothole in the road would be Florida still needs a little help against Kentucky. Um, you know, but then they might actually get that from Georgia the following week. But that's a um, – you know that's that's a long view. I think both teams would be well served to just focus on trying to trying to win this rivalry game, and then if they do, like you know what Dan said, it's this week. Um, you get to play bigger games when you win big games, and you earn your way into playing big games. And both teams have done that up to this point, and the winner will earn the right to play even bigger ones down the road. All right, that's Reese Davis from ESPN's College Game Day joining us here on Gators Breakdown. You can catch College Game Day at 9 a.m. Eastern in Jacksonville this week for Florida and Georgia. Reese, thank you so much for joining me here. My pleasure. There you go. College game day here for Florida, Georgia at Metropolitan Park at 9 a.m. Eastern. Arrive early and you may need to bundle up as the weather is supposed to cool down a little bit for Saturday. 9 a.m. Eastern, Met Park, college game day, and SEC Nation uh, will be in Lot P as well uh, for, for this matchup with the Gators and the Bulldogs. All right, you might need, would, if you're getting there early for game day, SEC Nation, getting to the cocktail party early, hey, you may need some energy. And uh, we got that with Eagle Energy. And as you guys know, I'm always on the go. I love spending time with my wife and four-year-old daughter with a full-time job as well, in addition to what I do here on Gators Breakdown. But during football season, especially this weekend, Florida, Georgia, it's a busy, busy, fun time. You're traveling to games, tailgating, watching all these things. Uh, it adds up, and I need to be alert and ready to go, and that's why I'm a big fan of Eagle Energy. Eagle Energy is a plant-based caffeine inhaler that provides an effective and fast-acting energy boost via inhalation. I've done the energy drink dance, but Eagle Energy is the way to go. No sugar, no calories, and the effects only take a few minutes with no jitterness or that sudden crash. So on these busy game days or in your busy life, give Eagle Energy a try. Visit eagle.energy to learn more or to try Eagle Energy. That's eagle.energy to try a natural, longer-lasting caffeine solution. Eagle Energy. Energy reformed. Okay. And, of course, you know, watching football is fun, but it's more entertaining when you have some action on these games. Guys, you've heard me talking about this for weeks, and some of you are still on the sidelines. Whether you're an expert or rookie, you should be betting at my bookie. There's so much to bet on. The World Series, basketball, hockey, primetime fights, and more. I recommend MyBookie because I really trust them. MyBookie has been in business for years. They've got great online reviews, and their mobile site is easy to use. MyBookie is offering a 100% bonus for the last time this year. That's right. If you've been thinking about placing a pick all season, but you haven't got a chance yet, well, it's time to make your move. After Sunday's kickoff, you can kiss that bonus goodbye. Also, make sure to follow MyBookie at BetMyBookie on Twitter or Instagram. They personally respond to every mention and every DM, not to mention that they've given away nearly $10,000 in free money to their followers this football season. You'll be the first to know as soon as new odds and props are posted. Log on to MyBookie right now. Don't miss out on your last opportunity to collect the industry's biggest bonus. Use promo code GATERS and you'll get your first deposit matched 100%. That's promo code GATERS. You play, you win, you get paid with my bookie. It's Florida Georgia week, and there was only one player I thought of when I want to discuss this game, and that is my good friend Ben Troop. Ben, I think uh, you and I have the same degree of dislike for these dogs, different, but the, uh, the same degree. 
We both grew up in Georgia around their fans, but you decided to go to Florida, and the rest is history. Been for you and me, this is our game. Absolutely. I mean, uh, and you couldn't say the best days. I mean, I grew up in, uh, you know, I grew up in South, you know, Southeast Georgia, Swainsboro, GA. Then I moved to Augusta, Georgia. Uh, got recruited by both uh, Georgia and Florida. Actually, my last two visits of my five visits, I went to Georgia. My fourth visit, and I went to Florida. My last visit, and I think, and, and this, and this is my naiveness, being 17 years old, and understanding that how much, uh, how many resources that these uh, institutions have. I didn't know that Georgia knew I was going to Florida. My next, because they kept saying, "Listen, you don't got," you know, they kept telling me. Why go down there? You know, you're sitting here with us. You can go ahead and commit and different things. But it's Jim Dunning versus Steve Spurrier. So I think I definitely made the right decision. But I just enjoy this week. I enjoy this game. I enjoy the fact that, you know, both fan bases are into it. Both teams in the top ten. Both teams got everything on the line. And, hey, man, I mean, uh, we got embarrassed a little bit last year, man. But, I mean, different year, different coach, different culture. Looking forward to it. Absolutely, absolutely. We go back, Ben, 2002. You caught the game-winning touchdown. And then, look, that's one of my personal favorite games of all time. Game day was there, much like they are this year. It was a night game, the last night game in this rivalry. You know, I took a trip down with, with a lot of my Bulldog buddies. And, I, hey, look, I even got on TV during game day because I was the lone Florida fan in a group of Georgia fans. So that, that was kind of, a, kind of a neat thing to see. And, you know, the, the game rolls around. We see screen pass. Uh, you know, we, the Florida screen passed Georgia to death, and lo and behold, toward the end of the game, you catch the game-winning touchdown. Yeah, you know what? The, the whole thing about that, nothing, I don't think none of those things transpire if Taylor Jacobs don't get hurt in the first quarter. Him and him and Rex Grossman had a real nice report that year, and rightfully so, man. Taylor Jacobs is one of the best receivers I ever had the pleasure of playing with. But he goes out, and like you mentioned, man, that goes screen. For some reason, uh, you know, I was at the point of attack, either me or Aaron Walker, and they – they just kept lining up on the inside of us, and I'm thinking to myself, dude, y'all not going to be able to stop this. The only guy that can make the play, you know, is the guy in front of me. But uh, early fourth quarter, we had a nice drive. Uh, Thomas Davis, all-pro Thomas Davis, to play for Carolina now. He was lined up right on top of me, which in the tight end, that's, that never happens. It's definitely, especially if you're a receiving tight end like myself. And I was able to get a great swim move off the line, and Rex kind of threw it up like a like an alley, man. I was able to come down with I was so tired. Because there was a long, drawn-out drive. And uh, I, I give all the credit, number one, three things. Number one, our defense. I mean, because that was early in the fourth quarter. Uh, you know, Terrence Edwards, which never happens, dropped that big uh, – he dropped the yeah. big touchdown you know, catch, I think. And I was a good Scott, man. Being from the state, being from Jacksonville, him getting that big pick against – a pick six against D.J. Shockley. So, a lot of things, you know, uh, not just my catch, but I was definitely happy to, uh, to have that moment in time. Yeah, I think Georgia was like 1 of 11 or 1 of 13 or something on third down or something in that game, uh, too. Yeah, you're right. And the, I won't ever forget DJ Shockley coming in and, and, and that Gus Guy interception, too. Uh, you know, that definitely was a big play of the game. And, uh, hey, look, Georgia's going through that uh, quarterback thing again this week, so maybe something like that happens again, Ben. <laughs> oh, I, I would love it. I mean, I know everybody was talking about, you know, how uh, Jake Fromm had his worst game of his career against LSU. And, obviously, just to see, I always say that Jake Fromm is the guy – who's there, but I think Justin Fields is the one, you know, that they really, really covered it, and he seems to be a super-duper talented young man. And, hey, man, if we, if we get Jake from flustered like I hope we do when they put Justin Fields in, while he does have talent, I listen, I love our cornerbacks. I mean, I love what Steiner, you know, and, and uh, Stewart is doing, man, back there in the safety position. I just think that it plays in our favor. And Dan Muller, he's not crazy, man. He's like, listen, I'm preparing for both dudes. Y'all not going to have me thinking mm-hmm. you got a five-star behind a five-star, just one of them got wheels. So I'm looking forward to the matchup, man. You mentioned it, man, that having two guys, hopefully one of them gets flustered and you bring in the second guy because 
Justin Fields said he's not feeling the pressure, but this ain't Saturday, and he ain't felt that energy yet. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Hey, Ben, we, we talked back at SEC Media Days, and, and you brought up Dan Mullen knows what it takes to win at Florida and that he was the right guy for the job. But Mullen, we go back and look at it, you know, we also discussed that this may take a little bit of time, but look, he's ahead of schedule right here right now, and Gators are top 10 going into this game. Yeah, I, I still think it's a learning curve. I mean, he's done yeah. an incredible job. Took him seven games to get Bo eligible. This time last year, uh, we going through, we don't know what's going on in the head coaching position. We don't know what's going to happen, you know, going into the Georgia game, especially coming out. But it, Mississippi State is what it is because of Dan Muller. They are on the map because of Dan Mullen. I mean, you look at some of the guys in the NFL right now, and Dak Prescott and those guys, I mean, Dan Mullen has something to do with them becoming the players they became. And, and, I, and I love Felipe Franks. I think he's a guy that has tremendous ability. But I don't know if Max Romain knew how to get the best out of him. Dan Mullen was like, okay, I'm looking at this guy, see what he does well, so let me, let me cater to his strengths. And so far, so good, man. I mean, you look at the touchdown to interception ratio outside of Tua, who doesn't have any interceptions, it doesn't get much better than what – Felipe is doing, and I just think that winning makes players buy in more than anything. Because Ty Grantham, as much as Dan Mullen is doing great, I think Grantham is doing an incredible job with this young defense. Losing a guy like Marco Wilson, that's hard to replace when you're talking about him and CJ. But I just think that as a whole, Dan Mullen understands, man. Look, man, after we lost to Kentucky, he said, I'm going to see who's going to have the pouty face. I'm going to see who's going to be walking around here feeling a certain way. So I appreciate the fact that. You know, he doesn't cater to anybody. If you're good enough, you'll get out there. And if you're not, you got to watch the other guys play. And, Ben, it's funny how things changed uh, back at SEC Media Days as well. Uh, you and I also discussed that it was Georgia in the East and then everybody else. Well, Ben, here we are, Florida-Georgia week, and the Gators have a chance to upset that narrative. Absolutely, man. I think, I think that the greatest thing happened for my Gators is the fact that, listen, you stand up at a team that came up a play short of not just winning it all. They won the SEC, but, you know, winning, you know, winning the national championship. No greater barometer than somebody in your division on your side that seems to be uh, at a superior level. Now, you know, we're a year removed, and it's hard to replace all those guys that Georgia had last year on defense as well as two of the best running backs ever on offense. But I think that's what the barometer is. You go into the season saying, listen, we got to win those, you know, crossover games, but we have to dominate the East. Obviously, we got off to a slow start against Kentucky. But I think that's what we needed. And listen, I still think Georgia's an incredible team. They're not the same team they were a year ago. But I think Dan Mullen, who's the last, like I said, last time he was good, he was calling the plays, going up against a, going up against a team that he knows how to go, you know, knows how to defeat or knows how to game plan for it. I take nothing from what Georgia did last year, but I think it was the greatest motivator, you know, watching those guys almost. Thank God they didn't win at all because I don't know if I could have could have dealt with that. But I like the fact that those guys are putting pressure on not just Georgia but on, but on Florida to say, listen, man, we are going to be competing with you guys for years to come, and I like those guys being real good. It forces us to play up to them. Absolutely, absolutely. And, Ben, you, you brought up Felipe Franks. What are you seeing in the progression of Franks and Dan Mullen's work with him? I, I think his progression, him going through his reads. I mean, he's going to have his moments. I think, I think Felipe has to get used to being successful, not just efficient, because he's very efficient with the football. People say, well, he should have just made this throw. He's not taking sacks like he did last year. He's not putting us in bad positions as far as like third down, taking what the, taking what the, what the defense is giving him. And listen, man, he looks confident. I mean, he looks confident in the pocket. They're not forcing him to, uh, to be more than what he is. He's not really scrambling as much as I would like. But at the same time, I think his receivers are helping him a lot more. The tight ends are getting into the action. 
And the running game is definitely something he can lean on. So the biggest thing with Felipe is confidence, poise. And listen, man, he understands that, look, we will go as he goes. I love the defense. I love the special teams. But he has to play efficient football for us to have a shot. Ben Troop joining us here on Gators Breakdown, breaking down Florida, Georgia, and we're talking and breaking down these Gators right now. And, Ben, let's go to a position group that, uh, that you know so much about. You just brought them up a little bit in these tight ends. Hey, look, this is a versatile group of players that are getting more involved in the offense as the season goes on. Seante Lewis, we've seen Morrill Stevens come on as of late. Kroll throws that throwback to Franks against LSU. Now, this seems to be a group that, uh, that has a hand in some of the more creative play calls that Dan Mullen has. I look at the tight end group as similar to the uh, running back group. It's who has the hot hand that week. Uh, who has the hot hand that week? You mentioned Pitts, the young guy that we got, you know, uh, coming into the uh, class. You remember Markell and those guys. Even Seante, who's been, he's been, you know, he's not getting the catches, but he's that, he's that veteran and uh, senior presence in the room. And I just like the fact that everybody's getting involved. Dan Mullen is very, very smart and saying, listen, everybody earns snaps. They don't deserve nothing. You got to earn it. And each one of those guys is playing well. I know what he said about Markell and how. You know, under, underdeveloped he was when he first got there and how had he been able to develop quicker, who knows the type of player he would have become. But I think he's playing well. I like the group as a whole. Obviously, Pitts is going to have to get a little bigger. He's more of a pass catching tight end, which is fine. But I just think that as a group, they, 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 obviously they're earning snaps, but they are a vital part of the offense now, not just blocking, but really getting out there making plays in the passing game. Hey, man, I, uh, you know what makes me feel good to see those guys finally being an impact on our offense. <laughs> you just brought up something I want to get your thoughts on. It. You, you bring up, you look, they have a group of tight ends, but there's not one main guy. They have a group of receivers, but there's not really that one main guy. They have a group of running backs, and there's not really that one main guy. You know, how does that go about in, in building this team? You know, is that kind of by design by Dan Mullen, or is it just you know Florida doesn't necessarily really have that breakout guy? You know, what do you see in, of why so many guys are, are really playing a part in this offense? I, I think uh, I think it's brilliance on our Dan Mullins part. I mean, because the thing is, yeah, if you gave it to one, I think I, do I think Scarlett and Pete Ryan could definitely be the bell cow. Of course, do I think you know Pitts or Markell or Seattle could be the bell? Yeah, but when every person says, "Look, man," every person has a niche in his offense. Not one person does anything that much better than the next. But you guys got skill sets, and that makes the defense go, "Okay, who? Okay, we got this guy, or we got him in here at the same time." I think having guys say, look, man, at the end of the day, you just want to play. If I got 60 snaps and I didn't really make an impact on but two or three, I'm going to focus more on making sure that when I'm in the game, just kind of like kind of like the um, backup quarterback for, um, for New Orleans. I ain't never seen no quarterback get used like him. But when he comes in, the defense is like, oh, okay. What is, is this guy going to pass it, run it, throw it? I think because all these guys got – you know, great skill sets across the board. It forces the defense to say, listen, I don't know if they're going to run it or pass it because if all I do is catch it, every time I come in, okay, they're going to go, you know, they're they going to they go, uh, obviously adjust to that. But if, if I got a skill set to where you don't know, I think I think it's brilliant on Dan Mother's part because it shows, look, man, outside of the offensive line and the quarterback, we will be interchangeable. You just need to make sure you, that you're ready when your numbers come. All right, let's move to the other side of the ball, Ben, before I let you go here. We've talked about the transformation on offense, but you know, this defense and the attacking that they do, you, know, you have Polite and Zaniga getting to the quarterback, Chauncey Garner-Johnson and Vashawn Joseph flying all over the field, uh, and the steady player Christopher Henderson. What Todd Grantham has done you know, really fits the personnel of this defense. Absolutely, man. Listen, one thing that we can't say, even, even from the, the must-count regime to the McElwain, even out of Coach Dan Mullen, 
the defense has always been our, our you know, it's been our staple. And you look at what Ty Grantham has done, listen, everybody's saying, listen, we're going from a, you know, a 4-3 to a 3-4. I said, look, man, we're going to be fine because – the fact that Chauncey was willing to say, listen, man, I'm going to go to that nickel and I'm not going, and I'm not going to make no waves. You look at the fact that, you know, you got, you got Reese that finally got back. CC is the guy that don't mind playing him out. And I'd say polite. I, I thought going to the season was going to be Domingo with what he's done in the past, but polite, in my opinion, is one of the best pass rushers in the country. And this guy gets constant pressure. I think when you look at from the back end of Stewart and Steiner to what you got with the cornerbacks and CJ and those guys to what Chauncey brings and Reese, I think you got a recipe for a lot of problems for any opposing offense because what happens is you don't know where these guys coming from. They can blitz, they can cover, they can hit, they can run, they can rush. And if you try to grab it, you go home saying, "Dude, I, I got everything." I mean, when you talk because most of the time you have a good pass rush, not so good linebackers. Good linebackers, not so good secondary. I think we do it in all parts, and I think what it does is to know that we not we don't have Marco. And, you know, and people saying we haven't missed a beat, that shows the type of defense we have. I can't wait to get them back next year. But, yeah, man, that defense, man, listen, when offense is on the field, I said, all right, man, let's be efficient. When defense is on the field, I said, look, man, pick your poison because these boys can beat you in a lot of ways. All right, last thought here from Ben Troop before we let him go. Uh, ben, you're up there at ESPN Coastal uh, up in Georgia in the Brunswick area and the South Georgia area. So, of course, a lot of Bulldog talk as well. How do you see the Bulldogs coming into this game, and, and what do they need to do uh, as they face these Gators? I think I think uh, George is going to come in the same way LSU came in when they had to play them. I think they're going to come in really, really mad. Nothing, nothing worse than having a bye week after a loss because you got to you got to listen to it, how bad you are, and how the season may be out of hand if we don't handle business. I think that George is going to come in saying, "Listen, number one." They're going to try to establish the run. I know they got a plethora of receivers with those guys, but I think with Holyfield, you know, those guys and Swift, you know, I think they're going to – because they got some road graders up front. I think they're going to try to establish the run. And if they can establish the run, that's going to open up the passing game. They're going to do what they do. I know they didn't do it efficiently against LSU because they had to play catch-up, but they're going to do what they do. I mean, they're going to try to run the ball with an attitude and try to control the, control the flow of the game. But I think that – if we can find, if Florida can find a way to get them out of that rhythm, it, it plays in our favor. But if you can't stop the run, it's going to be a long day at the offense, man, because you're talking about an average of 6'3", uh, 6'3 on the offense line, 320 pounds. These dudes are huge. But I do think if Georgia do, do what they do, it's going to be a long day at the offense for Florida. But I think Ty Grant and those guys looking forward to it. But, yeah, I think it's going to be the same Georgia we've seen. Why, broke, why, why try to fix something that's not broke? I just think they had a bad performance against, uh, against some Tigers. All right, Ben, the last thought here. Um, would you say, you know, Georgia was picked, you know, to be a national championship contender. They're still in that race. They were picked to win the SEC East. They're, you know, they're still in that race. But coming into this game, coming off that LSU game, you said there's more pressure on the dogs coming into this game. And we've seen it build up, you know, years after years of once Spurrier got there and, uh, you know, we we got to beat Florida. We got to beat Florida after Florida goes on the streak there. A lot of the pressure was always on Georgia to, to end the streak or, you know, get a win in Jacksonville. And I think coming into this game, the pressure is on Georgia once again. Absolutely. I mean, the defending SEC champions, the defending SEC East champions, uh, came up, was in the national championship last year and had the number one recruiting class, got the number one dual threat quarterback. Got, I think I already got a number one recruiting class coming up for 2000. 19, I think with everything going in their favor, it's hard to handle success. And I think, yes, the pressure is. So think about it. I mean, Florida was picked to finish, what, third or fourth in the East, let alone make a bowl. So I think when you look at what's going on seven games in, both teams are 6-1, and one, 
Florida's looking at Georgia saying either you are who you say you are or, it, or you're just a year removed from having a really, really good season. So, yeah, I like the pressure being on them. And, and, and it's, good for, it's good for Florida because it shows them, listen, man, if you guys are who you say you are, you want to be the top dog, it's going to be on y'all here real soon, especially if they come out of this game with a W. So, yeah, I like the pressure being on Georgia. It's real similar to 2002. These guys coming in, you know, highly caught it. I mean, a lot, a lot of postseason aspirations. We was able to put a dent in that, even though those guys still went on and won the SEC and made a big-time bowl game. So, yeah, if you Georgia, hopefully you use the pressure as something that, you know, to, uh, to help prepare you to play well. But if it's, if it's something they can't handle, they will get exposed, and they will get exposed real fast. All right, former Florida Gator tied in, Ben Troop, joining us here on Gators Breakdown, breaking down Florida and Georgia uh, like nobody else can. Hey, Ben Troop, thank you so much for joining us here on Gators Breakdown, and uh, I'll see you at the game on Saturday. All right, appreciate it, Dave. Mike Griffith of DogNation.com is joining us here on Gators Breakdown. He's covering Michigan State, Auburn, Alabama, Tennessee, and now Georgia in the SEC. Mike, you and I are on the Bill King Show in Nashville every Tuesday morning, so it's nice to finally get to talk some football with you. Yeah, yeah, big game this week in Jacksonville, two top ten teams. Absolutely. We didn't think uh, that way when the season started, but here we are. We did think that way about Georgia, you know, but not so much about Florida, and yet here we are. Is this your first Florida-Georgia game, Mike? Uh, yep, it sure is. I'm looking forward to seeing it. I've been to many, Mike, and there's nothing like seeing that stadium split 50-50 and half doing the Gator Chomp and the other half barking like a dog. It's a tradition for college football unlike any other. I guess on your end, I should have called it Georgia-Florida, right? <laughs> well, I don't worry about too much about that stuff, you know. Just uh, sort it out in the end. What has the message been on how this Georgia team needs to bounce back after the LSU loss? Well, you know, there were some areas that I think uh, had been exposed at different points of the year. You know, primarily the front seven had some struggles against the run game. Uh, Georgia's pass protection uh, looked somewhat susceptible. And, uh, you know, Fromm and his receivers were unable to get on the same page once they got behind. You know, LSU's a, a different team when you're playing from behind. And, um, you know, they had four turnovers, uh, kind of similar to what LSU did when they went down to play Florida and turned the ball over three times against the Gators on the road. So hard to win football games when you're minus four in the turnover ratio. And I'm not trying to question leadership here, but with Chubb and Michelle and Smith gone, and this is the first adversity this Georgia team has faced. Who are the leaders that might emerge on this Georgia team? Well, you know, they, they put a lot on Jake Fromm, uh, you know, and uh, Jonathan Ledbetter on defense. Uh, Natres Patrick is a senior. Uh, J.R. Reed is safety um, and junior. It is hard when you lose your leaders and you lose your core. And, you know, you lose five out of your starting front seven and you lose, you know, Chubb and Michelle, the number two and all time, three all-time leading rushers and Javon Wims, you know, and uh, it, it's hard. It's hard to have that continuity, and, um, you know, we've seen that at Florida, you know, with with some of the guys that have gotten in trouble over the years. When You know, when those Florida guys get in trouble and get kicked off the team or suspended, I mean, um, you know, the Gators aren't the same team. So you, you see the difference it makes uh, when you're missing key players. Mike, is all the quarterback talk from Fromm and Fields just that, or is there a legitimate chance we'll see more of Justin Fields against Florida? Well, I mean, you know, anytime your starting quarterback struggles, the number two guy becomes an option. And, you know, Fields is young, though. You know, he's only thrown one pass in an SEC road environment. Uh, you know, takes a lot more of an accomplished quarterback, you know, helped the team get to the national championship game last year. 
as a true freshman. So 21 starts under his belt. You know, you run a lot more of the playbook with Jake. He's a little bit more of a known commodity where, you know, Justin's an exciting freshman. He's great on those RPOs and adds and brings a different dimension. But, uh, you know, I don't know if you want to necessarily put him into that environment unless you have to. You know, who, you know, whoever it is behind center, it's pretty obvious the dogs just need to run the ball more, right? Well, they need to run it more effectively. You know, Elijah Holyfield leads the SEC in yards per carry, but, you know, Swift is kind of the main guy because of the, the dual element he brings his ability to catch the ball in the backfield. And, uh, you know, Swift hasn't been 100% this year. He's been playing through a groin injury, and, uh, you know, that's something that, uh, you know, Georgia has tried to monitor. Uh, but he hasn't looked like himself. He hasn't looked like the guy he was last year yet. Uh, I would say to this point, the run game has been adequate. Uh, but, you know, the, the downfield pass game has been missing. And good opponents can exploit that. If you can't throw the ball downfield, you know, they're going to creep those safeties up and make your, make life really tough for you in the run game. I think that run game is important, Mike, because I think if this Florida defense can get to a point where they can get from or fields uh, into passing situations, then we can really see the pressure this Todd Grantham defense can bring. Right. You know, and Kirby said that, that down and distance was going to be the key to this game. And, you know, that's offensively and defensively. So, you know, those early rundowns that you were just talking about, you know, there's a big difference between second and seven and second and five. I've seen at times this season Georgia giving up some yards in the run game on defense. Is this where you see Florida attacking this Georgia defense? Well, I think Dan Mullen's going to try and play high percentage football, uh, you know, and obviously, as I mentioned, you know, Florida's done such a great job with their turnover margin this year. Um, you know, Dan's not going to want to put uh, Franks in a bad situation. He's going to want to keep him in a positive down and distance situation. So, uh, yeah, you know, Florida's got some runners that will come downhill at you as well. So I think I think that's really where it starts. And, you know, I know sometimes fans get a little bored with that type of analysis, but the bottom line is, you know, who's going to control the line of scrimmage? I really do think that this is where this game is won when it comes down to it. But, but, but the quarterbacks will obviously play their parts too. Uh, Georgia hasn't been the best team at getting pressure on the quarterback so far this season. Uh, how do you think Felipe Frank's response to this Georgia defense? You know, they haven't really brought a lot of pressure. Uh, you know, Georgia's played a lot of coverage. They've got a really good secondary. If there's a if there's a team strength, it's that secondary. I mean, they're really hard to get behind and really hard to beat. Uh, they've only given up a handful of plays longer than 20 yards. I mean, Georgia forces you to be real uh, meticulous and, and detail-oriented and execute uh, long, sustained drives. They're not going to give you anything cheap. Uh, they like to play that too deep look. So, you know, if Georgia can play the run with six guys in the box, uh, I'd say it's going to be a long day for Florida, but uh, they weren't able to do that against LSU. They've had to commit a little bit more against the quality run teams, and you know, that's why I say a lot of this comes down to how effective Florida is in their run game. Mike Griffith from DogNation.com joining us here on Gators Breakdown. Uh, how do you see this playing out, Mike? Uh, does Georgia bounce back and play like the, the top team many think they are? Or um, either way, is this a dolph fight until the end with Florida? Well, it's a dog fight, but I, I would ask you the same. I mean, are we going to see the Florida that fell behind Vanderbilt 21-3 to or the one that beat LSU 27-19? to I mean, uh, both of these teams have had some issues uh, with being consistent. You know, they're both works in progress. Either one of these teams is polished, uh, ready to go. I mean, I'm I'm still trying to figure out how Florida lost to Kentucky, to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, I, 
Florida's got a lot of great athletes, and they got a lot of swagger and a lot of confidence, and it's fun. It's fun for the SEC to have a program like Florida because the Gators bring so much to the table. Uh, their fan base is so passionate, and it's uh, it's just a lot of fun, you know, and that's more than anything, I think this is going to be a fun game. I think it's going to be spectator-friendly. I expect big plays, big hits, uh, and big moments, and it's going to come down to, you know, who's able to cash in and make more of those big plays. And, you know, Florida brings a lot of momentum in there with five straight wins, and, you know, now Georgia's kind of got their backs to the wall, and, you know, we're going to find out uh, the direction of the Georgia football program and the direction of the Florida football program. You know, somebody's somebody's arrow's going to be pointing up and somebody's arrow's going to be pointing down, but I'll tell you this, David, I think whoever wins this game will win the SEC East Division. Mike, you read my mind. Uh, so you don't think Kentucky has much of a chance over the winner of this Florida-Georgia game to win the East? Yeah, either way, you know, if Georgia suffers a hard luck loss to Florida, I, I think that'll that'll definitely put some steam in their engine going to Lexington. And, and if they win and get the ship righted, I think that's going to be the momentum they need. And, you know, I'll just... I, I'm just I'm just not sold on Kentucky at the end of the day. I mean, they go to Missouri as a seven-point underdog for a reason this week. It might going to be interesting because the Kentucky-Missouri game starts at 4 p.m. on Saturday, uh, so we get the scoreboard watch that game while Florida and Georgia are going at it. Oh, is there a basketball? Is Kentucky, they got a basketball game? <laughs> it's almost yeah. basketball season in Kentucky, isn't it? Yeah, it might be that way after Saturday. That's when I'll start watching the scoreboard for Kentucky is when it's basketball. <laughs> Any final thoughts, Mike? Uh, I can't wait for you to see uh, this atmosphere here in Jacksonville. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. You know, I've heard a lot about it, and, you know, I've covered plenty of Tennessee-Florida rivalry games, and, and that's always exciting. I guess I guess my thought is, uh, you know, talking to Georgia fans, what I tell them is, you know, I, this had better be pretty special because y'all are missing out not getting to go to the Swamp and, I know C.C. Jefferson said he'd kind of like to play between the hedges, and uh, I'm a big proponent of games being played on campus, so uh, this had better be special because uh, I think George is missing out on not getting to experience the Swamp, which is one of my very favorite venues to see a football game at. I love the energy there, and uh, and Sanford Stadium is, is pretty amazing as well, so uh, this had better be pretty special for these schools to be hunting a home-and-home -home opportunity. I was born in Jacksonville, and I live here now, and I love this game being played here. And, you know, if they had to play in the swamp in between the hedges, maybe something like play two in Jacksonville and then one in Gainesville and then one in Athens on a rotation. Uh, but hopefully you get to see why be, it, the game being in Jacksonville means so much to us here. Yeah, I look forward to that, David. I've heard nothing but great things. Mike Griffith of DogNation.com covering the Georgia Bulldogs. Thank you so much for joining me here on Gators Breakdown. All right, thanks, David. Appreciate it. Some great interviews there, getting us ready for Florida, Georgia. But uh, what are my keys to win? Uh, here we go. Let's get, uh, get let's get off to a good start on offense uh, against LSU. Uh, was it more for, for you know for Georgia? Was it more of a bad day, or are there bigger issues here, or is it an overreaction for what is still a pretty good team? You know, well, I think you know first and foremost, you know, getting off to a good start and talented. Um, you know, against a, a young team in Georgia, they're talented. But they're a young team, so you know, maybe maybe get some doubt in their head coming off of this LSU game. You know, when they were finally popped in the mouth by LSU, they didn't respond too well. So I'm I'm not saying Georgia will will fold if Florida jumps up early, but if if Georgia is to build some some momentum, they can really build off of it. I think they're they're, they're a big momentum team. They like the big explosive plays on both sides of the ball. 
So stop this momentum early, stop their momentum early, and muddy this game up if you have to. You know, get off to a good start. LSU got off to a good start, but it didn't matter uh, as Florida settled down after an early turnover by LSU. You know, Vanderbilt jumped out to a 21-3 lead, uh, but Florida will be hyped for this game. So uh, you know, if Georgia does jump out to the lead, I don't think it'd be because Florida isn't ready. Uh, but I think Georgia will want to press to make Florida play from behind. You know, to make Florida play from behind again. You know, this isn't Vanderbilt. You know, Georgia's a different team. Uh, so if they can make Florida play from behind, uh, they will. So that's why I think it's imperative for Florida to get off to a good start. Keep, maybe get some doubt in, in, in Georgia's head again, as I mentioned, coming off that 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 uh, LSU loss, and see and see where the game goes. Make them press. You know, maybe start that quarterback question early if it's really still out there, uh, and, and uh, make from throw the ball a little bit more, and, and we'll see where that goes. But uh, also limit the big plays and, and get from in obvious passing situations. Kind of you know, kind of extending this point in a way of getting off to a good start. Uh, not going to completely stop this Georgia offense, but make them work for everything they get. Consistently get them in third and passing yardage. You know, from is 48% on third down uh, this year, but he has three interceptions in third and 10 yards plus situations. So you know what we saw. Uh, was Florida able to do against Joe Burrow and the LSU offense when they were able to get them in those situations? Uh, from from a struggle in spurts of just about every game, so he doesn't seem to be as confident or, or decisive as a year ago, and he's definitely not as accurate when throwing the deep ball. Look, he hasn't been bad, but he has been inconsistent, not necessarily taking that next leap most expected. So we've discussed these uh, things, you know, this episode, the last episode of how much we think Georgia will go with more of a running attack and, and stick with it versus Florida. So get off to a good start. Make them play out of it. Force this pass. Uh, and that's when this Florida defense is at its best. You know, if the Gators can limit the home run type of plays from Georgia, then I like the Gators' chances here. And uh, some things I, I really want to look at in this game, I'm ready to see uh, the wide receivers versus the defensive backs on both teams. Uh, Florida's defensive front pressure needs to, to be there. These you know, Georgia wide receivers are big-time playmakers, uh, and they want to hit the pass down the field. Not As I say, with, with Fromm, they haven't been – hitting it as much as they have last year, but that's what they want to do. They want to get that run game going, hit the play action, hit some plays down the field. I, mean, I like C.J. Henderson matched up on anyone that Georgia can bring there, but after that, uh, it's been consistent in, in that second DB spot. So the matchup with how you know deep Florida goes at wide receiver and how deep Georgia goes at defensive back is, is another one uh, I'm looking at here. You know, For the most part, Georgia's done a good job at limiting big plays so far this year, and that has a lot to do with the play of J.R. Reed and Richard LeCount. Uh, DeAndre Baker has been uh, the Bulldogs' best overall uh, player this season on defense, and Tyson Campbell's coming along. Uh, you know, it, he's been impressive, but LSU picked on him a little bit. So we'll see if Florida kind of does the same thing here. Um, they tackle; they can tackle better. The whole Georgia defense can tackle better. Uh, but you know, that's, that, that defensive backfield has been a strength uh, for Georgia. So with Florida's how, how deep Florida is at receiver, you know, they don't necessarily have that one playmaker we've talked about. Van Jefferson being that number one, but Florida spreads the ball around to multiple receivers, so it'd be a depth of Florida's receivers versus the depth of uh, Georgia's defensive backs, and that's the one matchup uh, I'm ready to see. Uh, two areas I'm looking at, uh, you know, sacks and red zone production here, and as I said earlier, I think Georgia will get some yards. They're a really good team, uh, so I think, it I think it will be imperative to make them settle for some field goals when they do hit on some plays. Uh, like Florida, Georgia is scoring 89% in the red zone, Georgia has scored 19 touchdowns out of 25 scores in the red zone, and they've settled for just six field goals. So 25 scores out of 28 attempts, and 19 of those have been touchdowns. So Georgia, 
is doing a good job of scoring touchdowns once in the red zone. Uh, the Gators would need to be better here as for the season. Out of opponents, 14 red zone trips, six have been touchdowns by the opponent, and five have been field goals. So uh, now Florida's doing a really good job of keeping, keeping opponents out of the red zone with only 14 attempts in seven games. Uh, but they need to clamp down a little bit better once there. You know, Georgia will have their opportunities, I think. They'll have their opportunities in the red zone. Make them settle for some field goals here. Uh, and, 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 and it really does rear its head a lot. When Georgia has to settle for field goals a lot in this, in this game, in this atmosphere, uh, they, they've missed a, a good bit of field goals and uh, important field goals uh, in this series and, and you know, a lot of the, you know, in the last you know, 15, 20 years of this game. Uh, so now looking at an advantage I think Florida has, this Georgia pass rush and the Florida offensive line protecting Franks. Uh, the, the Georgia defense has only nine sacks on the year, and as uh, Mike said, they don't bring a lot of pressure. Uh, but you expect more from a defense that is currently ranking 117th in the nation in sacking the quarterback. And to take that a step further, they rank 121st out of 129 teams in tackles for loss, with only 14 on the season. So they may not bring a lot of pressure in numbers, but you'd expect a better showing even without bringing numbers with the talent Georgia has. So Georgia only has nine sacks on the year, and Florida's only given up nine sacks on the year. So if this plays out this way, with these numbers that we're seeing, you know, this is the defense where Florida can stay on schedule in down-and-distance situations. Keep Franks upright, run the ball like Florida has, and this is a defense, while not really giving up the big play, can be had for some yards. Uh, avoid turnovers, of course, you know, and, and Florida can move the ball. I, I feel pretty confident Florida can move the ball uh, with, with, with what we've seen so far you know, with this Georgia defense. And I'm sure they've worked on a lot of stuff in the bye week, much like Florida has as well. Uh, but if it plays out th this way, the way the numbers show and the way the numbers say it can, then the Gators can move the ball. Of course, players play the game and, and not numbers, so we'll see how it goes. Uh, but there are some numbers to look out for when looking at some matchups in this game. So here we go. I'm picking the Gators 24-20, guys. I, I do think Florida can play with Georgia. I expect both teams to be ready and fired up, ready to go. I expect Georgia to start well, and I expect Florida to keep up on offense and respond, and then the game settles down to where Florida's defense takes over. And I think this plays out much like the LSU game. Franks makes the important throws, but I do think he hits one big play somewhere along the way. I think Mullen... And may have a wrinkle to get some guys open, and it'll be up to Franks to make the throw. You know, hopefully he has time to throw like we just discussed. Uh, special teams may play a big factor in a, in a difference here in a close game. I'm predicting a big McPherson field goal late to be the difference in 24-20 Gators over, over the Georgia Bulldogs, and Florida moves on uh, with control of the SEC East, um, you know, with Georgia and Kentucky coming up the next week. Uh, so uh, there we go. That's how I see it playing out. And hopefully uh, these Gators can get it done. Should be a fun, exciting game, fun, exciting day here in Jacksonville. Uh, fun, exciting day if you're at home with SEC Nation and College Game Day uh, being on TV. It's going to be a whole lot of fun for this top 10 matchup. Let's take a look around before we finish up here around the SEC in Week 9. Here we go with noon kickoff. Vanderbilt and Arkansas on the SEC Network. Uh, not much to look at there. Uh, you know, two teams struggling in their respective divisions, of course. Uh, of course, the big headliner, 3.30, Florida, Georgia on CBS. Uh, also, 4 o'clock, like I said, we were talking with Mike about it. There may be a little bit of scoreboard watching by us media uh, in, the, in the press box and uh, some fans as well as Kentucky and Missouri will be playing around the same time, kicking off at 4 o'clock, and we'll see what Kentucky can bring to the table. They're underdogs at Missouri, uh, so yeah, interesting there. The number 12 team in the nation is an underdog on the road. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. Kentucky struggling on offense, and uh, Florida can pull it out against Georgia. 
and Kentucky loses to Missouri, you'll be looking at your, uh, you know, you'll be looking at a first-place team all by themselves with the Gators if they can beat Georgia later on that night. Texas A&M visits Mississippi State, number 16. Texas A&M. That's a seven o'clock game on ESPN. That uh, could be an interesting game. We'll see how Mississippi State responds after that LSU game last week. But Texas A&M's got it rolling uh, pretty good right now. And at 7:30, the last game of the SEC. Tennessee visits South Carolina. Will Muschamp hasn't lost to Tennessee uh, yet in his career at Florida or South Carolina. So can Jeremy Pruitt get another big win like he did a couple weeks ago against Auburn? Or will, will Muschamp keep that streak going against Tennessee? Wow, what an episode. What an episode to preview this Florida-Georgia game. I uh, cannot thank Reese Davis, Ben Troop, and Mike Griffith enough for uh, all their insight that uh, they could bring here in previewing this big game. Uh, probably one of the, the biggest episodes I've done so far with all the interviews and uh, breaking down of this game. Uh, go back and listen to the last episode as well with uh, Will and I where you can get even more, uh, you know, if you haven't listened to it yet, even more uh, uh, breaking down of this Florida and, and Georgia game. So hopefully I'll see some of you guys around Jacksonville when it's all said and done and, and uh, the Gators hopefully come out uh, on top. I'm your host of Gator Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore S-E-C. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. Be Georgia.